In today's episode, I talk the science behind psychopathy and serial killers. Tune in to find out all those details only here on the People's Scientist Podcast. to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 78, where every week I arm us with some scientific evidence to make us all a little bit smarter and healthier every week. This week on the People Scientist Podcast, I am continuing with our October spooky themes and diving into the scientific analysis of serial killers. The reason why we want to psychologically or neurobiologically profile serial killers is to understand what puts people at risk for committing homicide so that we can prevent it in the future. It is a difficult topic to study, but a very important one, because with understanding gives us control and the ability to improve the situation for everyone involved. So here is a warning for the episode. If talking about the profile of people who have committed homicide might bother you, then perhaps consider giving this episode a skip and come back to next week's episode where I will talk about a more G-rated topic like a nutrition topic. But it is interesting. Biographies and fictional shows about serial killers seem to be very popular. There is something that intrigues us because their behavior shocks us in that it defies all what we believe to be good and normal. Many psychiatrists and neuroscientists have spent their careers trying to understand the differences in the brains of serial killers in order to understand if they can find treatments to prevent their crimes. So let's dive into this interesting topic, shall we? As we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Psychopathy, or the colloquial term psychopath, is characterized as an extreme version of antisocial personality disorder. But don't let the name fool you, individuals with psychopathy tend to be very charming and compelling. But at the same time, they can exhibit a lack of empathy, remorse, lack of a response to shocking or negative stimuli, and can be impulsive and manipulative. Not all people with psychopathy commit crimes, but many people who commit multiple murders do tend to have a form of psychopathy. Using brain scans, serial killers tend to have a different response to emotional stimuli by the amygdala and orbital prefrontal cortex of their brain. In general, they seem to be unresponsive to negative or shocking stimuli. Certain variants of particular genes, like monoamine oxidase, 
may also influence the risk of someone living with psychopathy. In this episode, I will go into the types of questions psychiatrists give patients to determine if they have psychopathy. I will compare women and men serial killers and how this information can help clinicians and scientists to prevent serial killers in the future. Now, let's get into those details. Let's start off by defining the term serial killer. There are many different versions of how a serial killer is defined. Most of the definitions indicate that at least two murders are committed, where a period of time exists between the murders. This break in between murders indicates separate occasions and an emotional cool-off period, so to speak. This break in time was necessary in the definition in order to distinguish between a mass murder and a serial murder. Now, people have spent their lives to try to understand what motivates serial killers or what is different about them in order for someone to commit such a crime. Understanding this could allow physicians to detect certain traits in people and to treat them before they commit such crimes. So what are these traits? What is the analysis of people who commit serial murder? Well, it is common to think that serial killers have psychopathy, or coined as psychopaths. In many cases, this is very true, but not always. You have also probably heard of the term sociopaths, so let's define some of these terms to get them clear in our mind. Sociopathy, or the colloquial term sociopath, is an older term not really used anymore. Sociopathy has now been replaced with the term antisocial personality disorder. Antisocial personality disorder is defined as a pattern of irresponsible and guiltless behavior that begins often in childhood or in teens and can be brought on by abuse or trauma in life. It is usually a lifelong disorder that begins in childhood and is fully manifested by the late 20s or early 30s in people. Typical behaviors do include criminal behavior and failure to conform to the law or rules. They may also have an inability to sustain a job. They might manipulate others for personal gain and have a failure to develop stable relationships. They tend to have a lack of empathy for others, rarely experiencing remorse, and they tend to fail in their ability to learn from their previous bad behavior. So those are some common traits of individuals living with antipersonality disorder. Now the colloquial term psychopath or psychopathy, is like an extreme version of antisocial personality disorder, and it is often coupled with some psychological symptoms too. It is characterized by an even greater lack of emotional connection with others and an incapacity for guilt or remorse. Now, one thing that I think can be confusing is with the term antisocial personality disorder, we may think of someone who's not very social. For example, someone who's very shy, someone who does not like to make eye contact, or someone who keeps to themselves. But this is not the case for those with psychopathy or the late term psychopath. In fact, those with psychopathy tend to be very charming and compelling, which makes them even more dangerous, as it is very difficult to see or detect their manipulative or aggressive nature. There is a questionnaire or exam that psychiatrists may give people to determine if they have psychopathy. 
Do you want to hear some of the questions out of interest's sake and to see how you'd respond? A score of 30 or above qualifies as a diagnostic measure for having psychopathy. People with no criminal background or psychopathy typically score at 5 or under. Now, the answers to these questions will either result in a 0 for an answer of no, point of 1 for a maybe, and 2 for a definite yes. So some of the topics that the psychiatrist may discuss or some of the questions could be, are you very charming? Do you have a grandiose sense of self-worth? Are you prone to boredom and need constant stimulation? Do you pathologically lie? Are you conning or manipulative? Do you feel remorse or guilt if you were to do something terrible to someone? Are you shallow? Do you tend to have a lack of empathy? Do you have a parasitic lifestyle, meaning that you latch on to others for your own gain? Do you have poor behavioral controls, meaning are you impulsive? Do you have early behavioral problems, like when you were a child? Do you have any realistic long-term goals, or do you lack those goals most specifically? Do you tend to have irresponsible behavior? Do you fail to accept responsibility for your own actions? Do you have a lot of short-term marital relationships? When you were younger, did you commit crimes? So those are some of the questions that psychiatrists would ask in order to determine the diagnosis of psychopathy. It's an interesting questionnaire, isn't it? But please don't take this questionnaire as a diagnosis, as the psychiatrist would phrase these questions likely in a different way too. But if you have any concerns, please do speak or seek out the advice of a physician. Now, not everyone with antisocial personality disorder or psychopathy becomes a criminal. In fact, it is written in many psychology journals that people who have psychopathy tend to do very well in the corporate world, in the corporate world, and tend to climb the ladder in leadership quite well. The reason being is they are very charming, they speak well, but they can also be manipulative and can take actions without remorse or without guilt allowing them to be successful in business, allowing them to make certain decisions that maybe an individual without psychopathy would not feel comfortable making. So what determines the likelihood of someone having psychopathy? Well, genetics do seem to play a part, meaning it can run in families. For example, in a study of over 500 people convicted of crime, if they had a parent or sibling with antisocial personality disorder, they on average had a 20% chance of also having antisocial personality disorder. So do certain genes place us at risk? Yes, it appears it's possible. In the journal Science in 2002, scientists reported that a gene called monoamine oxidase A seemed to be important in predicting the risk for antisocial personality disorder or for predicting the risk of psychopathy. If people had a low activity of monoamine oxidase A, they seem to be at a higher risk for having antisocial personality disorder. This protein is important for controlling the levels of dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin in the brain. So certainly this gene or protein is very important in the brain and for how our brain functions. And if we have a particular variant of this gene that causes that protein to malfunction, that can certainly have an impact 
on our brain and our behavior. Antisocial personality behaviors range from relatively minor acts such as lying and cheating, and in some individuals might be more extreme where they have heinous acts of torture or murder. So what defines whether or not someone progresses to these serious crimes can be influenced by, for example, their drinking and illegal drug use, any traumatic events in their life, and if they had an early diagnosis, and if they've accepted treatment with medications. These seem to all be very important determinants of whether or not someone progresses to more serious acts or crimes. So now that I have defined antisocial personality disorder and psychopathy, and we understand that not everyone with psychopathy commits crimes, however many serial killers have psychopathy, let's jump into some details about serial killers and their psychological profile. Most studies have shown that criminals committing multiple murders had experienced some form of abuse early on in their life, particularly emotional abuse. It is thought that this abuse caused the children to adapt to the situation by desensitizing themselves to anything negative. This adaptation was not good as it caused the children to be desensitized from all negative things. For example, clinicians have noted that serial killers have a reduced response to aversive negative stimuli. For example, if they were shown gruesome imagery or something shocking, they didn't seem to have an automatic response of fear or shock like others might have. For example, their heart rate would not quicken. They would not have the hair on their arms stand on end. Their breathing rate would not quicken. Their pupils would not dilate nor constrict they would seem otherwise completely unaffected by these negative, gruesome images. Individuals living with psychopathy tend to respond differently to words that normally evoke an emotional response, such as kill, maim, or joy. In tests in which people have to separate real words from nonsense words, individuals without antisocial personality disorder process these emotionally charged words more slowly than neutral words, such as table and butter. But individuals with psychopathy process both categories of words at the same speed, again indicating that they are unaffected by negative or aversive stimuli. It is a common thought that men tend to commit murder more frequently. Do you think this is true? Well, what we can say is that men are more likely to be caught and criminally charged for murders. We can't speak for murders that are unknown, or go under the radar. There was an interesting study published in 1994 that profiled 14 women serial killers. In this report, the writers noted the percentage of homicides or murders to be committed by women in the United States. Can you guess? So for example, say for every 100 homicides, how many do you think were committed or assisted by women? 10. About 10% of homicides are committed or aided by women in the United States. I think that in itself is a really interesting statistic. And that in itself could also provide a lot of insight into serial killers. For example, are women less likely to be serial killers because they display more feelings of empathy or remorse or guilt, or they have more feelings of care for others? 
Could that be explained by sex hormones, for example? Higher levels of estrogen, higher levels of progesterone, and how that impacts the activity of certain brain regions. So could that mean then that men who are serial killers, could they be treated with estrogen and progesterone to increase their levels of empathy or remorse or guilt for what they've done in order to prevent their future crimes? Or if someone has been diagnosed with psychopathy that seems to be at risk for committing serious crimes, can they be treated with estrogen or progesterone to prevent them from committing a crime in the first place? I don't know, but that could be really interesting. And that's something that could hopefully be looked at in the future, just simply based on the knowledge that men are far more likely to commit serial crime or serial murder than women. In this paper, they compared women versus male serial killers. For example, by comparison to men who have committed homicide, women who commit homicide tend to be older and tend to commit murder inside the home, whereas men tend to commit murder outside the home. Convicted male serial killers were more likely to be Caucasian, the firstborn child in the family, and to have come from homes of trauma and neglect. Female serial killers seem to be less aggressive than male serial killers in general. For example, men who commit serial murder tend to use their hands or use blunt or sharp objects or guns and are more likely to do it for enjoyment. Women, on the other hand, tend to be far less physical and remove themselves from the situation more. For example, most women serial killers committed their homicide by poisoning. For example, giving too much of someone's medication to them on purpose. In one case report of a female serial killer, it was someone who worked in a hospital that knew how to kill people by giving the wrong medications or the wrong doses. In this regard, it could be harder to catch women serial killers because it is more subtle. Women's reason for murder seemed to be more goal-oriented than men. For example, half of women who murder had a specific goal like gaining money or insurance money. The other half of the women who committed serial murder did it for emotional reasons, like to kill someone who betrayed them. Now, is there any neurobiological difference in the brains of people who have committed multiple murders? When it comes to the analysis of their brain, experts say that the frontal lobe of their brain which contains our higher-order executive thinking and decision-making functions, seems to dysfunction and not respond normally. This has been hypothesized to explain some of the abnormal behavior. This was shown, for example, by Gorenstein back in 1982, by Rain in 1998, and by Rain again in 2000. Recently, using PET scans of the brain, the amygdala, a brain region involved in emotions, in volunteers without antisocial personality disorder, their amygdala responded to imagery of sadness and happiness. But the amygdala in individuals with psychopathy seemed to respond less. Another theory involves the orbital prefrontal cortex of the brain. For example, patients who have suffered damage or an injury to this area of the brain early in life seem to have severe social behavioral problems can tend to have very aggressive behaviors. So it is thought that psychopathy could be a result of genetics, early life abuse, and possible injury to the brain. The reason why they are unaffected by the brutality of what they do could possibly be explained by the differences in how their brain 
processes information in the environment. So if we can understand the cause, then we can create a treatment or a prevention plan. Early life intervention with psychiatrists is essential in order to treat the imbalance in the brain and therefore to prevent the aggressive behavior. For example, if there are medications that can influence the levels of serotonin in the brain, then in some cases you might be able to stabilize aggressive behavior in individuals. But overall, the ability to treat people living with psychopathy has not gained much attention. As the current response is to put them in jail and keep them away from the rest of society once they have committed crimes. However, if more focus and care was put on children who experienced early life trauma or abuse, then perhaps the chances of children developing into adults with criminal behavior could be reduced. But through the psychological and neurobiological analysis of individuals who have committed serial murders, we have some targets. For example, learning to balance serotonin levels in the brain, or perhaps looking at estrogen and progesterone treatment, as women are far less likely to commit serial murders versus men. So perhaps the sex differences in the brain can provide more insight and information on how we can prevent individuals living with psychopathy, prevent them from committing serious crimes, or individuals that have already committed a crime, prevent them from doing so again. So that is a wrap, my people scientist army, for episode 78 and our continued October Halloween spooky episodes. In brief summary, serial killers tend to have a diagnosis of psychopathy, although this is not always the case, but it is very often the case. Psychopathy is an extreme version of antisocial personality disorder, in which there is a lack of guilt, remorse, empathy, and there is compulsive lying and manipulation. But antisocial behavior does not mean the individual is introverted or quiet or shy. In fact, many with psychopathy tend to be very charming, compelling, and deceiving, which makes them even more dangerous because it is difficult then to detect their dangerous behavior. Individuals with psychopathy do not often become serial killers, as often psychopathy needs to be coupled with early childhood abuse, trauma, sometimes drug addiction, and other characteristics that increase the likelihood for the individual to progress to serious-natured crimes. The cause of their behavior could be genetic and neurobiologically derived, but there is still a lack of information on this topic. I hope that this spooky episode was interesting for all of you, in line with our October Halloween themes. Next week, I will jump back into some nutrition topics for all of us. If you don't follow me on social media yet, my handles are in the description box to this episode where I share extra tidbits of information on the week's topic throughout the week. I hope you all have an awesome week, and I look forward to meeting you all back here the same time and same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.